Let's look at it from a biblical point of view. Let's, let's look at what the word mathetes is, where it comes from. What does it refer to? According to one dictionary, it's a pupil, an apprentice, or an adherent. I have fallen in love with the show Forged in Fire. You ever watch that show? You may have watched I love that show. I went to the World Deer Expo this past weekend with my boys, and one of the members there at Double Springs, several of us went down there. And they talk about this Damascus steel stuff. I don't know anything about it. But my four-year-old looks at me and says, Dad, you could do that. You know, when you're four years old, you think your dad can do anything. I've also got nearly a teenager, and all of a sudden, Dad is, he don't think he can do as much. Okay? And so when it comes to my four-year-old, I thought about it. And I said, Son, Daddy can't do that. Daddy would burn down the house. Okay? Because to do that process, you're an apprentice. You go learn under somebody. Interestingly enough, my neighbors that have lived there moved to Mississippi, uh, and the guy that bought our house, that's what he does. He's a bladesmith. So I, I thought about hitting him up and saying, can I learn how to do this without burning down my house? And then i got to explain to my wife, this is going to be a very expensive hobby. Another one, right? Another very expensive hobby. But, you know, an apprentice, somebody who learns under somebody, an adherent, somebody who adheres to a, a doctrine or a set of teaching. Uh, you know, so when it comes to the disciples of Jesus, it's people who looked at Jesus, that Jesus called, 12 of them specifically, ministered to many others. We see crowds following Jesus. We see disciple used in a general term. In Acts, uh, excuse me, in John chapter 8, we see some disciples, they had some measure of faith, but when it came down to commitment, they weren't in. And, and they used that term follower. Let's be even more specific. When it comes to a disciple, it's someone who has learned or trained for a task. And from a New Testament's perspective, a disciple of Jesus Christ accepts Christ's instruction and seeks to put it into practice. Now, I, I'm pretty simple-minded. I like to, to boil things down to, to something that we can, I can grab. I can remember one thing. If you give me a list, you know, these things are, are a distraction, but they're also kind of handy, right? Use that reminders app. If I've got a list of stuff. I want, if, you, if you don't learn anything else from our lesson, I want you to learn this. A disciple submits and commits all things to Jesus Christ. Out here on your sign, you have Midway Church of Christ. If you come down 195 like you're going to Jasper, you'll see Double Springs Church of Christ. I grew up in Winfield, Alabama. And if you're driving through Winfield, Alabama, you come to, well, you used to only have a few red lights, Chuck. Now we've got quite a few. And there, if you come to about the third or fourth red light, you turn right on Apache Street, you'll see Winfield Church of Christ. You see, most people view that as a denominational title. That's unbiblical. That's not what that says. You know what that says about you and me, where we worship, where we work? It says that the body of people that worship at that location, they adhere to the teachings and the lifestyle that Jesus expects. A disciple of Jesus submits and commits all things to Jesus Christ. Would you say it's fair that our culture struggles with those two things? Let's not even talk about our culture. Would you think it's fair? You know the Bible. You studied humanity from Adam and Eve forward. Would you say we as humans, we struggle with 
those two principles. I'm talking real commitment and real submission. I coach cross country at, at Winston County. Uh, you can tell I don't run with them, but you know I cheer them on and coach them from afar, and uh, usually from the back. And uh, you know I, I can tell a kid in about about 10 seconds if he's going to make it. Uh, I, we always have a spring training before we start our summer workouts. And I remember these two boys coming out, man, they were fired up. One lap in, I looked at my wife. She coaches the girls, I coach the boys. So they're not gonna make it. She goes, you don't think so? Nope, they lasted three days. Three days. Now, if you, if you sign up for something like Weight Watchers, you know what they do to you now? Six month commitment. Why do people expect contracts, cell phones, Dish Network, DirecTV, because they understand something. Especially we Americans in our culture, we struggle with true commitment. Now what about submission? Do you struggle with submitting? Driving down here, I saw I passed a state trooper uh, on 33. I looked down at my speedometer, it said 60 miles an hour. And I thought, nah, they'll give me five. Do they have to give me five? What, what should I do? I should submit to that sign that says 55, right? And thankfully it didn't say 45, or else I'd have me a nice ticket and probably late getting here. And so when it comes to submission, so when it comes to these, these, these principles, you, we as humans, we struggle with that. And going all the way back to the garden, don't touch that tree. Here comes Satan. Satan's oldest trick in the book is this. Let me undermine what God's word says, and I'm gonna twist it and deceive. That's what he does. Did God actually say, don't touch that tree, don't eat that tree? And, and Eve quotes God, doesn't she? God said, and so forth. And what happens? Well, next thing you know, here comes God walking in the cool of the day. They run hide because they're naked. Who told you you were naked? It's not a question that God doesn't know the answer to. He's trying to get them to fess up. It's about accountability. They had, they had, they had some instruction. Submit and commit. Now let's talk about Acts chapter 9. Let's illustrate this principle for us in looking at an example here of a man named Ananias. And there are heroes in Scripture uh, that we read their lives and we often fly through their lives and we don't consider the lessons and significance. I know I'm guilty of that. And it wasn't until I started studying about Ananias and the things that he does in, in talking with, with Saul, later Paul, and, and some of the things that helps me understand how you and I, as the church of Christ, as God's people, how can I do a better job committing and submitting all things to Jesus Christ? Let's notice some principles together. Number one, we notice Ananias was available. Let's look here in Acts chapter 9. Read with me beginning in verse 10. We read, now there was a disciple. There's our term we've been talking about. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. He's, so that tells us something that we fleshed out. He is someone who submits and commits all things to Jesus. Let's see him apply this principle in his life. The Lord said to him, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. He was available. If you'll notice, when the Lord gives someone a task and they reply, here I am, Lord, most often it is a very difficult one. Can you think of other times when somebody said, here I am, Lord? What about Isaiah? A few years ago, the last of leaders theme was, here am I, send me. 
And I was, I was walking through that with our young people, and I never noticed this until then. You know, the Lord, there's this magnificent uh, display of his glory before the prophet. And, and there uh, he sees this seraphim, and, and he says, Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips, and he realizes his sinfulness. And he says, he says Isaiah, i got a task for you. Here am I, send me. Have you ever read the verses after verse 8 of chapter 6? You know what it says? You're going to go preach to people, and they're not going to listen to a word you have to say. You're going to preach your heart out. As a matter of fact, you're going to write an entire book with 66 chapters about it, and you're going, what we're going to learn at the end of it is they're going into captivity. They're not going to listen. Wouldn't that be discouraging to know that you would have no impact, you would have no influence, but the task was still there? What about Ananias? We're going to learn about his task in just a minute, right? Here am I, send me. I think this, this simple statement about him reveals three things. He had a submissive heart, a willing heart, and a readiness and zeal to serve the Lord. I really don't like using statistics in sermons because 78% of statistics are made up. And so you can, you can Google that if you want to uh, because 82% of statistics are made up. And so here are some statistics, though. I want you to listen to this. 100% of God's servants didn't feel worthy to serve the Lord. 100% of God's servants in his word relied on his strength to serve others. And 100% of God's servants in the Bible made themselves available to be used by the master. And God wants us to be available. So if I'm going to be someone who submits and commits... We live lives with calendars that are slap full of activities. Uh, yours may be even color-coded. You may write it out. You may put it on your phone. Uh, you know, you get put notifications. I put reminders on my reminders uh, so that I can be where I'm supposed to be. Uh, a matter of fact, my watch dinged five times driving over here, reminding me I've got to be at the Midway Church of Christ tonight during their summer series. Well, that's the way we live. A matter of fact... It, I, had a, uh, I teach part-time at Heritage Christian University, and is, he said, you know, he was from a large city. And he said, I, I, he moved to Florence, and he preaches there in the Shoals, and this is what he told me. He said, I'll never forget this. He said, when I moved to Alabama, I expected it to be kind of this slow way of life. Everybody just kind of easy going. He said, you're the busiest people on the face of the planet. He said, between travel ball and this and school and whatever, you name it, you got it. I don't know how you keep up with it. He said, he was from uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And he said, we didn't do this. He goes, I don't know how you do it. You know, sometimes on our schedules, that keeps us. We say, well, I can't be available because, and we fill in the words. But can you be available where you are? Well, maybe when you're with those parents at a volleyball game or a basketball game or a baseball game or whatever it may be. Or when you're at work with those co-workers, that's opportunities for you and me to be used by the master. We got to be submissive to God and available to do what he did. That's what, that's what Ananias did. Let's look at a couple of texts. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, just kind of emphasizing this principle here as we look in Paul's last letter uh, written to his understudy here. Begin with me. Let's back up to verse 20 and, and read through verse 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood, of clay, 
some honorable use, some dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Folks, I'm just glad I'm in the toolbox. It's by God's grace we're in the toolbox. We're in the cupboard. He says it this way, for by grace you have been saved. It's through faith, not your own doing. Why? Read verse 10. For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It should characterize our life because an available disciple submits and commits all things to Christ. Number two. So let's go back to here to, to Acts chapter 9 and notice some principle here. Uh, we're actually going to leave Acts chapter 9. The story of Saul's conversion occurs in three chapters of the New Testament. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26. Ananias is not mentioned in chapter 26. So let's leave Acts chapter 9 and let's flip over to Acts chapter 22 and notice another lesson from this man's life. Let's look at Acts chapter 22 and verse 12. Let's notice some principles regarding his reputation. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there. So notice some things here. He's devout. This word refers to someone who fears God, someone who, who looks at God with reverence and respect. You can tell Listen to somebody talk. You can tell if they revere and respect God by how, what they say. Uh, when Tiffany and I first got married, I worked with the church in Center Star, Alabama. Uh, I, they let me live in the house, uh, Tiffany and I, and uh, they told me I could get a real job for pay. They kind of said that jokingly, but I don't think they were joking. And so I waited tables at Cracker Barrel. I was going to school at here. I transferred from Freed Harbor to, to Heritage, and I was waiting tables at Cracker Barrel. Now, I worked with a man named Alvin Austin. If some of you might know Alvin, if you've ever been to that Cracker Barrel, he's a black guy that worked there. He's a, a faithful New Testament Christian, preached there a lot in the shoals. And we were working one night, and this lady kept using the Lord's name in vain and over and over and over again. And finally, Alvin had enough of it, and we were all standing there making tea or something. He said, call on somebody you know. I looked at him. I was like, I'm, excuse me, I'm getting out of here. You know, and uh, she said, I beg your pardon. He said, call on somebody you know. She goes, I know God. He goes, no, you don't. You wouldn't use his name that way if you knew him. I've thought a lot about that. There's a lot of truth in that statement, isn't there? If somebody's devout, somebody that reveres God or respects God, they're righteous and faithful. But also look at this manifestation of his devout character. He lived according to the law. You have to understand at this point, while there is a transition there under the new covenant, their Bible is the Old Testament, right? And, and so some of those things, they still applied to their lives. He had a great reputation. You know, the old cliche is true. Our lives are the Bible that some people read. His reputation, he had a good reputation. A faithful disciple of Jesus is devout in their relationship with God, and they are religious people. I know in our world today, it is almost taboo to say, are you religious? And we want to rush and say no. Well, that comes from a misunderstanding of what the New Testament says about being a religious person. I hope you're a religious person. 
Because what does the Bible say about religious people? Let's go to James chapter 1. I hope that you're religious. I hope that every place we go to worship, preach, teach, PTP, whatever that is, I hope it's full of religious people. Because people that are religious have a devout and godly character about their lives. Let's begin reading in James chapter 1, verse 26. This is following instruction about about uh, not being just a hearer of the word, but being a doer. Okay, let's begin reading in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. They're not putting it into practice. Look at verse 27. Look what religious people do. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two principles. They care about other people. Jesus said, how do you know his disciples? He loves them like Jesus did. In the old law, it was love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you. You love people like I love people. That's how people are going to know you're my disciples. So widows and orphans, that's an illustration of which of this principle, we care for those who can't care for themselves. We're servants, and then also we're holy. That's that word devout. You know, sometimes we're okay with a little bit of sin in our lives, aren't we? We get a little comfortable. We have to watch out for that, because if you give Satan an inch, he's going to take your eternity. And when it comes to devout people, one thing we learn from Ananias, he was a devout man, someone who submits and commits all things to Jesus. He had a godly reputation. Let's look at number three. Let's go back here to Acts chapter 9. I want you to notice Ananias was courageous. Number one, he was available. Number two, he had a godly reputation. And then number three, I want you to notice that he was courageous. So after getting this commission, verse 11, the Lord tells him, and the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he might regain his sight. Now, remember when I told you, whenever you see somebody say, Here am I, send me, usually a difficult task follows. Look at Ananias' response. And frankly, I would respond the same way. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Let's take a minute and flesh this out. So what, what's some of the evil that, that Saul has done? Well, let's look here in, in chapter 8. Back up a, a chapter. Look at chapter 8 and verse 4. Verse 1 of this chapter begins, And Saul approved of his execution. Okay? And if you skip down to verse 3 and 4, it says, But Saul, ravaging the church, entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. You notice verses 10 and 11. Let's begin reading. So this is the third conversion account in, in Acts. Saul's kind of telling his story. Verse 10. 
and I did so in Jerusalem. Verse 9, he says, I tried to do my best to be in opposition to those who, who were faithful to the name of Jesus. And he said, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. In raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Think about that word foreign cities. Where is Saul headed when he meets Ananias? Where is he headed? Damascus, right? Damascus, Syria. That, that city still exists. That's in the north. That's a bitter enemy of Israel, the Syrians. The Assyrians and the Israelites, even today, as you know, still don't get along. They didn't then either. And so foreign cities, that's why he's in Damascus. He's looking for people like Ananias. That's what he's looking for. And so before encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, had he, account, had he encountered Ananias based upon the reputation, what do you think Saul would have done to Ananias? At a minimum, he would have arrested him. Uh, tried to get into blaspheme. If they vote condemned to death, Saul's okay with that. Because Saul viewed himself as if he was doing right. And he, he says uh, in Acts chapter uh, 23 that he had a clear conscience. He thought he was doing what was right. He was wrong. He thought he was doing what was right. You think about the courage it took to look at Saul and say, all right, let me tell you about Jesus. In our world today, it takes courage to to submit and commit all things to Jesus. It's the most difficult task that a person has. Jesus himself said that. You remember Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14? How many people choose the easy way? Well, most. Where does that lead? Or at least to hell. Who chooses the difficult play? Few, the difficult way. It's a straight gate. It's nautical terms, difficult. It's a well-worn path. You know, the way to heaven is a four-lane. There are people going down it by the droves. But the path to heaven is difficult. Jesus says it's the most difficult thing a disciple can do. But the end result is an eternal relationship with our Father. It always requires some courage. As you know, Satan's always been opposed to God's people. Read John chapter 15. Talk to Jesus preparing his disciples. There's going to be people. Understand they hated me before they hated you. It takes courage. How much harm he did. So you think about how God strengthens his disciples. He courageous Christians honor their Lord with their life. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. We operate out of conviction. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It helps us understand a description of faith. And as a result of that we see these illustrations. You know God understands how we learn. right? He says here's a principle. And here's some examples. <laughs> That's, that's just good learning, isn't it? Here's some examples. This is what they did, and this is what you're expected to do. It takes courage. And courageous Christians, they stand firm in the Lord. You know, I, I had my teenagers, uh, school started back last week. I teach teenagers on Wednesday night and Sunday mornings. And I asked them, I said, raise your hand if you saw somebody sin today. Every hand went up. And I started, I started to ask them. They, didn't have, they started volunteering. I said, well, be careful what you volunteer. <laughs> and they started volunteering information. I said, how many of you saw somebody do something sinful today? They started telling me about some of the things that they dealt with. 
I said, well, what's it like being a Christian in that circumstance? One of them said, difficult. And he was honest. He was just being honest with me. He said, it's difficult. He said, not that I'm tempted by those things, but when you're outnumbered, you're outnumbered. I could probably ask these teenagers today, I mean, if you saw somebody do something simple, Dan, probably all of you would raise your hand. I would not want to do that to you, okay? Okay, and all of you would raise your hand. What if I asked some of you that went to work today, and I said, did you see something sinful today? Yeah. When you're outnumbered, you're outnumbered. A faithful disciple like Ananias has courage. Number four, Ananias was obedient to the Lord. Look, let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 17. So the instruction is, go and teach this man about the gospel. Let's begin reading. And so Ananias departed and entered the house. A simple statement, but it shows that Ananias obeyed the Lord completely. So let me ask, what is the fruit of this man's obedience? You ever thought about that? Well, let's think about it. Paul, Saul, becomes a Christian. Then the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this man goes all over Europe in, this, in the Middle East preaching the gospel, establishing congregations. You and I are students of his writings, aren't we? Uh, Thirteen letters of the New Testament are written because this man chose to get up, depart from the house, and go teach you. What does obedience do? Obedience plants seeds of the gospel in people's lives, and, and we may not understand or even at the time even realize the ripple effect that we have when we obey the Lord and his commands. Jesus says, it's your proof of love. John 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Christianity, we've established that it's not easy. It requires courage. It's not complicated. We submit all things to Christ. There is no substitute for obedience. In our world today, in our country today, needs now more than ever to see authentic disciples of Jesus living out God's word in everyday lives. I'm not talking about people who talk about it and, and, and use the term witness to other people. You may have heard that terminology. I'm not talking about people who talk about it. I'm not worried about talking about it. I'm worried about doing it. I teach a class, and I do this ever so often. It's called Practical Atheism. Practical Atheism. And you can ask any of my teenagers that have gone through my classes what a practical atheist is. Uh, a practical atheist is this. Someone who says they're a Christian but lives like they don't. And we don't un also the, we must realize the ripple effects of that decision too and the fruit, the negative fruit that comes from that decision. Because when it comes to us, God expects obedience. Obedience keeps our focus on Jesus Christ. I want you to notice three passages with me from 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter. We're going to start in chapter 1 and verse 2. It keeps your focus on Jesus Christ. Look at here. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood. God's, uh, all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned here. You know, you have the Father. 
He, he gives us the, 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 the care of his divine providence. We're set apart by studying the Spirit's instructions. And we have obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience also keeps us from going backwards. One thing that grates my nerves is something that's counterproductive. You ever be working on something, you take one step forward, about eight steps back? How aggravating is that? The other day, my son and I were taking the, my, our lawnmower deck off. I, ha, I love this lawnmower. I've had it since uh, I've had it since 2006, so 16 years. I bought it out of the back of a Walmart. My mother works at Walmart, and it came to Walmart, and this guy bought it, and it wouldn't crank, and they brought it back. It was just a dead battery. It came with a bad battery, so they sold it to me for $500 out of the back. I have never even changed the oil in that thing. You know what, Chuck, that thing, I almost broke, Chuck knows, he, one time it broke down and Chuck got me to drive the zero turn home from the church, my house about a mile from the church building, and I drove the zero turn home, I remember telling him this story, and this lady from Texas passed me, and there I am going down 195 on the internet, on the internet you know, driving a lawnmower. She looked at me and she thought, I have come to Alabama, <laughs> and found exactly what I expected to find, you know. Anyway, but I love that lawnmower, but the belt finally broke on it. And, you know, after 16 years of grind, it changing a, a belt and blades, that's not hard. But when it's built and it's been rusted together and basically just welded one piece of metal just waiting to break in half, you know. Uh, and my son and I were taking it apart. Things were, I had to go back to the store two or three times. Then not hard when you think you got something figured out and then you turn something too tight and it breaks. That's frustrating. What about when you're trying to grow as a Christian? And you're moving forward, and you give in to temptation, and you make a mistake, and it feels like you've, made, you've gone 100 steps in the wrong direction. Because, I mean, we have gone the wrong direction. But I want you to understand something. Failure is not final. You have a Savior that loves you. He wants us to keep marching forward. We sing this song, We're Marching to Zion. That's because we are. Heaven's our home. Obedience, that keeps us going forward. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love for one another earnestly from a pure heart. You look at that, having purified your soul by obedience to the truth. It keeps us marching forward. It also helps to keep us holy. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's again, don't go backwards. That's what we just talked about. Look at verse 15. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Ananias was obedient. He arose and entered the house. Let's look at one last principle here. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Let's look at verse 17. I want you to, to notice something he says here to, to Saul. So, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying on the hands of him who said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he arose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Ananias was soul conscious. He understood Saul has a soul. He needs the gospel. He needs to be baptized in the Christ. I have to admit that I taught something wrong for a long time. It wasn't until uh, this past spring, I, I teach Acts of the Apostles at Heritage Christian University up in Florence. And I've, I've said, and, and incorrectly, 
You may have heard this too, that Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. You ever heard that? That is not what happened. When was Saul converted? The moment he was baptized, after he talked to Ananias and he obeyed the gospel. One thing you will notice, in the New Testament, especially in Acts, people don't become Christians by miracles. They become Christians when another Christian takes time to go teach them. Saul was not converted on the road to Damascus. He was converted when Ananias got up, went in that house and said, let me talk to you about your soul. Pardon the paraphrase, but that's what he said. You have a soul, you've seen Jesus, and he had to be baptized into Christ. And so he was soul conscious. When we look around and, and we see people every day, do we see them as souls? You know, we, we often say that the mission of the church I think if you read the Bible, I think you also see this principle, that God has a mission. And God's, God's, uh, God's mission has a church. You know, God's going to accomplish that mission whether I participate or not. Okay, all right. He's going to find people who's going to be available to, to submit and commit all things to Jesus Christ. There's nothing worth more than a soul, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26 uh, the other day, I was looking at Chevrolet pickup trucks online. I was eating lunch. That's what I like to do. That's how you window shop now, right? Used to, you go actually look at them. Now, you just get your iPad out and just kind of scroll through them or your phone or whatever. And, and I noticed a nice Chevrolet truck. I pulled up in a Chevrolet truck. I love my truck. It's kind of like my lawnmower. I love my truck. Uh, man, it's got you know some, a few miles on it. Rear end went out of it, back, taking home my, coming home from a baseball game, from my son's baseball game. Had a rear end put in it. You know, if, if uh, a new Chevrolet LT truck at Mitch Smith Chevrolet at Coleman, I think the price tag was $57,000. I looked at that and I was like, nope, I guess not. But if I walked up to Mitch Smith Chevrolet and I brought my 2007 two-wheel drive extended cab Chevrolet pickup truck, it's got a few scratches, it's got character, I love that truck. If I walked up to them and said, I'll trade you even for that LT Chevrolet Silverado $57,000 truck, what do you think they would say? What if I told you they said okay and traded it? Would you think I was lying? Yes, you would think. Justin, you need a sermon on dishonesty. Maybe you need to preach to yourself, right? You'd say, because that's a bad deal for the dealer, right? That's a bad deal. Let me tell you a worse deal. When we look at Satan and say, all right, I'll give whatever in exchange for my soul. You know, the soul is the most important thing that we have. It's the most important thing that my children have. My son obeyed the gospel. I don't know if y'all know that. Blake was baptized back at Maywood Christian Camp. Caught me flat-footed. I wasn't expecting that. He's 11 years old. I sat down and talked to him. I love Maywood Christian Camp. Been going a whole life. And he said he wanted to obey the gospel. So I baptized him in that pool there at Maywood Christian Camp. He has a soul. Your grandchildren have a soul. Let me tell you something about the Bible. You ever seen what the Bible says about your children's children? Look at reading Proverbs. They're for more than spoiling, sugaring up, and sending them back to the parents for revenge. They're worth more than that. They have a soul. Uh, what about people who have fallen away from the church? That's something we've been focusing on some at Double Springs recently, of people that, you know, we need to go contact those people. They have a soul. Ananias was soul conscious. A disciple commits and submits all things to Jesus. A young man was eager to grow in his faith. So he had this idea. This is what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to take out a yellow legal pad. And I'm going to start writing things down that I can do or give to the Lord, resources, whatever it may be. He wrote down some things. And he thought, yeah, that's good. Then he's like, no, no, no I got, and he thought about some more. And after a while, it, it, he got afraid of leaving things out. And what started out as an exercise to help him grow spiritually, you know, it turned into anxiety. He was like, man, what? I just, I don't know. So he said, I'm going to talk to uh, his, a mentor of his that was a faithful New Testament Christian. And he said, you know, I, I started this process, and, and, and I really don't know how to finish it, just to be honest with you. The list just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. And this is, this is what the gentleman told him. He's an older Christian. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that piece of paper. I want you to wad it up. I want you to throw it in the garbage. I want you to get a blank sheet of paper and write your name on it and give that to God. A disciple, a faithful disciple, submits and commits all things to Jesus. And things we've learned here from Ananias, that means you're available when God needs a servant we strive to have a godly reputation to the best of our ability. We are strengthened by God to serve Him. We're in the toolbox to be used by Him. We're submissive to God's instruction. We are soul conscious. We see the world differently because we understand every person will spend eternity somewhere. I hope the lesson has been helpful for you this evening. I enjoy walking through this study together. Let's end our class with a time of prayer. Father, we are thankful for uh, the evening we have uh, to be able to study your word and to look at the example of Ananias from here in Acts chapter 9. Help us, Father, to, to have the strength and uh, the wisdom and the discernment uh, to be faithful disciples. Whatever it may be in our lives, Father, we ask that we may submit and commit it to you. <coughs> Father, we're thankful for the Midway Church. We're thankful for the work that this good congregation does in so many ways. Our good elders and preacher, Father, and deacons and members here, Father. We're thankful for the work at Polishing the Pulpit. Bless David and Mark and others that are working with that. Eddie and as they guide that, and Alan, as they work together to provide that for the church, we pray that that may be a success. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful, Father, for the hope of heaven that we have in him. It's through him that we pray. Amen.